So my good friend Al Manning gave me a book, and the name of the book is Humility, <laughs> True Greatness. Thank you, Al. You might as well have just given me a diet book, you know? Hey, here's a diet book. Lose some weight. But it gave me a book called Humility. Hey, stop being prideful, you know? I'm surprised you didn't mail me one that said how to control your tongue and not be a loudmouth. But excellent, I've appreciated uh, very much. And so a lot of the thoughts that uh, we'll be sharing today, I want to give them uh, credit to where they are. And a lot of it comes from, from this book, Humility, True Greatness. a short read, but uh, excellent. And, and really, I think, uh, captured a lot of what, what God's mind on the subject is. And so some of the quotes and things that we'll be going over today is from that. But let's start reading uh, Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. It's a, a little bit confusing to read that because he keeps saying the word if. And he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. And really, Paul here is not uh, leaving it up as a question of, you know, is this true? Is there encouragement in Christ? And he, he is uh, making the assumption already that there is encouragement in Christ. For those of us that are in Christ, there is encouragement. And so maybe for the sake of understanding, it can be read this way. Since there is, any encourage, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, and since there is affection and compassion in Christ, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see, since we have this position in Christ, we can then be of the same mind. For those of us that have our, our identity wrapped up in the person of Christ through his work of salvation on the cross, the following things that are asked of us are able to be accomplished, not through our own strength, but the Spirit. But this is possible. What is the thing? And this is participation. This isn't hopefully a hard question. What is the thing that will get in the way of the call here that we receive from Paul in verse 2, 3, or 1, 2, 3, and 4? What is the thing that will get in the way of humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than ourselves, not looking out for our own interests, but of others as well. What is the thing that will get in the way of that? I didn't hear, I'm sorry. Pride. And so uh, to understand, because I agree, pride is what will get in the way of what God's call is from this chapter. And so I think we need to delve in a little bit about the subject of pride. And pride is, is not a fun thing to talk about. Um, but pride 
exists in each one of us because we're all sinners. And pride, as some have said, is even the root of a lot of our sin or all of our sin. And we need to acknowledge what God thinks about pride today. And I think the weight of what God feels about our pride, because I think as a society, as a church uh, in the United States, we've accepted that, that pride is just a normal thing. And, and, and we've really maybe lost sight of what the true bondservant of Jesus Christ looks like. And so I'm hoping that through this study this morning and through kind of even defining the terms, and once again, not, this is stuff you've heard and that I've heard before, but I'm hoping that the exercise of defining the terms, looking at what God thinks about these things, I'm hoping that will help to maybe be what unlocks our, our, our minds to, to understand what God expects of us, what God wants Maybe it's the thing that understanding what, what God's view of things are, I'm hoping will transform our minds in a such a way that we can uh, become like Christ and show genuine humility. But God is actively opposed to pride. In fact, he hates it. Of the seven sins that uh, are an abomination to him in Proverbs 6, the first one is haughty eyes. These seven things are an abomination to, to him, is what the verse says. And the first thing he lists is pride. Haughty eyes. Abomination, that is a pretty strong word. God hates pride. He hates it. And he opposes it. Proverbs 8.13, if you want to turn there in, in your Bible, 8.13, another verse on what God's view of pride is. says this, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. According to Proverbs 8.13 in God's word, God hates pride. He hates arrogance. That's strong language. And if we have pride and arrogance in our life, God hates that sin in our life. Proverbs 16.5 goes on to explain God's view of pride. Everyone who is proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. And listen to this. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is proud of heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. See, this is not just a nice uh, sermon this morning where we come and say, yeah, we should, we should show humble and, and we should, our humility, and we should really learn all the right things to say to, to look very humble. And we should, we should uh, be able to appear like we, we really don't think highly of ourselves, but the truth is, is that God wants reality. And if there is pride that has infested our character, we have to deal with it. We have to root it out because God hates that sin in our lives. And we've gotten, gotten really good at appearing to be humble or appearing to, to act in a certain way. And yet, if pride still exists, 
and we still do things out of the motivation of self, we have serious work to do because God will oppose us. And that first uh, point in our outline is that God opposes the proud. Turn please to James 4, 6 if you will. We'll start in verse 5, actually. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit, which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but give grace, gives grace to the humble. Do you realize that? That if our lives are displaying pride, that God is opposed to us, that is strong. You do not want God in opposition to you, trust me. The context of James 4 is the discussion of worldliness and, and uh, the people that um, he's speaking to and talking to had not done a good job of being obedient to God's word and, and they were living in disobedience. They're living out the selfish acts of wickedness that it touches on in the first and the lust of the flesh and the being envious. And, and he addresses it at the end of, of this little portion. That's the context of where he now says, listen, the Spirit is jealous for you. God is jealous for your heart. He longs for you to give him his rightful place in your life. And then verse 6 is where he says, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to present something to you, and I think it's important that you seek it out. Don't take my word for it, but I want you, if you could, to think through it and see if this is accurate. God wants us to know that our pride turns us away from him. Can we agree on that? That God is, is uh, serious about letting us know, hey, that pride that exists in you will do nothing but turn you from the grace that I offer. Can we agree on that? Amen. Here's the next one, and I'm not, I want you to just think about this, but sinful, this is the statement, and I want you to, to think through it. Sinful activity in my life is pride. Or always motivated by pride. So the statement is, sinful activity in my life is pride or always motivated by pride. And we won't discuss it anymore. Go ahead and write it down on the end of number four for discussion questions. And this week I want you to talk through that with someone else. So let's define uh, pride here. That's a, a good definition of pride from uh, this book, Humility, True Greatness. C.J. Mahaney says this about pride. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon Him. Let me read that again. Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon Him. 
From God's word, who do we understand as the very first creature or being that demonstrated this very definition in their life? Lucifer. That was the cause of his being banished. Was this pride that had crept into him and his desire to be greater than God. His desire to take the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge his dependence on God. Charles Bridges says this about pride. He says, pride lifts up one's heart against God and contends for supremacy with him. So let me backtrack to our statement then. If sinful activity in my life is pride or always motivated by pride and pride lifts up one's heart against God and contends for supremacy with him, let me present this to you. When we engage into the lust of our flesh and we sin against God, I want to present that we are contending for the supremacy. That makes sin a serious thing. Every time we sin, we are taking God and we're, we're saying, no, I'm greater. I'm more important. It's about what I want. And God sees that and he hates it. Why does he hate it? Because he's, he's a jerk? No. Absolutely not. God hates the pride in our lives because he knows it will turn us from him. Do we believe that God has good things for us? Do we believe God wants what's best for us? God knows that pride in our lives will keep us from his best. Verse 6 or verse 5 is such a neat verse. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. God is jealous for you. He longs to be in communion and relationship with you. And here we find that pride itself is keeping us from genuinely experiencing the joy that comes from knowing God. Do you want to know God? Do you want to experience His joy that sometimes seems so elusive? The joy that fulfills, the joy of the abundant life that only He can provide. Is that a desire of your heart? That's a desire of my heart. And what's clearly being laid out here as as I study and as I, I look through is that pride is stealing that from me. It is robbing us of the ability to see God and to know God and to experience the joy that comes from true submission and obedience to God. So then if the statement is true that we want to know God, we want to love God, we want to serve God, we want to be fulfilled by God, then we can conclude that we have to get rid of this pride 
This dog in our life has to be put down. And it is a per, pervasive thing. Back in 2008, I used the, used the illustration of, of poison ivy. My brother KT and I are allergic to poison ivy. And poison ivy, actually, once we get it, will travel through our bloodstream and pop up at different points that we didn't even scratch. It would take over every summer for some reason. We thought it was great to play in the woods. Why, why do we play in the woods? There's poison ivy in there. And we'd get poison ivy, and it'd start on your hands, and you'd start scratching. Have you ever gotten in between? Who's had poison ivy? Anybody? Okay. Good. Sometimes it gets in between your fingers, and you start itching, you do this thing. Then all of a sudden, somehow it's between your toes. <laughs> it's under your armpits, and you're just like, what is going on? And it's everywhere. And the touch of these stupid little leaves leads to, for KT and I, and for most people, it's an unpleasant experience. But when you're allergic to it, it's a very unpleasant experience until dad brings out the bleach and ends it. It leads to this awful taking over of your skin. It is nasty. And I want to present to you that we let pride come into our hearts and let it go unchecked. And, and by that, I mean I think we're unwilling to truly evaluate what pride does in our life and what place we've given it in our in our hearts and it spreads faster than any poison ivy could and it is uglier and far more damaging than any poison ivy could be so we got to deal with it and my challenge to you today is that today now is the time this is the place god has brought us today to understand that we have to deal with with the sin of pride in our lives today. Getting ready for uh, this message, my, my kids and wife are in um, Colorado, and it's amazing, they're gone about three days, and it's amazing how you realize how wrapped up your identity and who you are is, is in these kids and this, the, the, your wife that you, you pour yourself into, and they give you acceptance and love, and, and you start to question yourself after a few days who who really am i <laughs> and you start doing some soul searching because you realize that you know even even your affection and your identity has been maybe placed in too much in 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 these people and so that was kind of one of the steps that that god was bringing me to to um, help acknowledge this enormous reliance on self and, and others instead of him that i have and then at work, we had uh, an event where basically it was a, a, a gut check time where we were being was communicated by a guy that we've asked to come in and, and help us that, that we weren't getting the job done. And this is when you know that pride is hidden inside of you. But as this guy talked and was calling me out on my basically character and integrity, on my commitment in this area, I felt it starts down here and it's a lump that rises into your throat. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, as a grown man, you feel tears start to come and you say, what is going on? Fight these back. I am not crying. <laughs> and it's stuck right here. And I didn't do a good job at first, but then I realized I better swallow this pride. 
but it is there. And as soon as someone offends the real core of who you are, watch out because that pride is coming up. Anyone else experience that ever? That is a hard thing. I don't want that. But it is inside of me and it needs to be addressed. And by the Spirit's healing power that we learned about in our service together this morning, it needs to be taken care of. But you know what? I believe that He is able to do abundantly more than what we could ask or think. And so if you feel like you've been a a slave to pride in your life for years and you don't know how to address it, be encouraged that the Spirit of God can overcome. We can be free. A lot of talking. Let's get back to God's Word here. Humility, let me read the, the definition of humility. And again, whenever you give a definition, it's, it's bigger than this, it's greater than this, but here's a definition for us to at least work with. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. One of the craziest things that Paul ever does is call himself what? What is Paul? How did he view himself? Chief of sinners. Now this is Paul here. Now we know about Paul and we, we in a lot of ways, we kind of idolize Paul, don't we? Because he got it done. He said, enough with me, it's going to be about you, Lord. And yet Paul's admission to us is that he considers himself to be the chief of sinners. Now do you think this And Paul saying this, do you think he just was kind of saying it to to say it? Is that Paul's character? Or do you think to the core of his being that he believed this? What is it? He believed it. He viewed himself as the worst sinner that this earth had ever had on its face. Now, was he? Add that to discussion. Number five. He called himself the chief of sinners. You see, but Paul had an understanding of who he was, didn't he? And a part of pride is this desire to refuse to acknowledge our dependence on God and refusing to give God his rightful position I want to present to you that until you acknowledge that you yourself are the chief of sinners, you will not be able to address the issue of pride in your life. Our sin is devastating. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is a major deal. That is no small thing. But you see, what seems to happen too often is that we forget who we are. See, but when you acknowledge that you are a sinner, wicked sinner, saved by grace alone, when that becomes the true model of your life and the true outpouring of your actions, you will behave differently 
you will show humility to others. So let's go back to Philippians 2 with an enormous amount of context there. I apologize. But back to Philippians 2. And look what he asks of us. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Does that mean we all have to think alike on everything? No. But whose mind needs to be most important? That of Christ. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Whose purpose? Christ's. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You see, when I'm the chief of sinners, when I genuinely understand that I am the chief sinner to ever live and that I deserve nothing of the grace that God gave me, in, if that's a reality in my life, it is not hard then to consider you as better than me because I'm the worst sinner. <laughs> then I can understand that you then are more important than me. But until we acknowledge our place, until we come back every day to say, God, it's, it, it's not about me. After all, without you, <laughs> I'm nothing. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. <laughs> then something wonderful in the chapter takes place. And after Paul giving these lofty expectations of what the person that is found in Christ is supposed to look like and the person of humility, how they're supposed to act, he then does something so powerful and so transforming that it's here that we find that we can be free of pride. Because I want you to listen now about how Jesus acts. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What do we know about our attitude? What are some things that we can talk through about our attitudes? What's true of our attitudes in life? We can change it. Now, no one heard your mom say that? You change your attitude. You change your attitude. Don't look at me that way. You change your attitude. Have any of you ever experienced changing your attitude? Sometimes my wife suggests where we should go out to eat on our date. And I, my first instinct is, I don't want to eat there. That wasn't my idea. And then I have to I say, inside, this is inside myself. You can't say this stuff out loud. <laughs> but inside yourself, you acknowledge, listen, you're being a fool. 
I better change my attitude. And so you literally, not just faking, you literally flip the switch and say, what does it matter? You will enjoy yourselves there. They say, yeah, absolutely, Panera. That's very manly food. Let's go. <laughs> but there's an ability there to change our attitude. And I believe today Jesus is asking us to have an attitude adjustment. An attitude adjustment is code word for a spanking. You need to have your attitude adjusted. Go get the spoon. <laughs> and I want to let you know from what we discussed earlier with God's opposition and feeling to pride that if we do not change our attitude, we're going to have a session with God in regards to changing our attitude for us. An attitude adjustment with God. That's a reality because he loves us, because he's jealous for us, because he longs for us. He cares about us too much to let us wallow in our own pride. And so in verse 5, Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Who's he talking about here? God himself, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 6 is the proclamation, although he was God. He still humbled himself. He was fully God, and yet he walked to the cross. If God himself can humble himself, which I still don't quite understand. That's, that's part of the mystery. Discussion question number six. How does God himself, the incarnate of all power and all majesty and all holiness, humble himself? But regardless, if God himself can humble himself, what does that mean for the chief of sinner? Yes, we should be able to humble ourselves, right? Verse 7, really strong language, but emptied himself. Has anyone here ever served at a camp? Anyone by the end of the week ever felt exhausted? And on day six of these bratty little kids that somehow you learn to love so much, when you feel like you're going to just fall on the ground and die from exhaustion, there's something there where you have to continue on, where you feel, I am empty, I am spent. Mothers, you know this. You understand what it is to feed your child in the middle of the night. And to put them down thinking, this is great. This is three hours I have here. And you go and you lay down. Your husband's still snoring. He didn't even hear it. And you lay down and you're like, yes. (laughs) And you have a choice. You can either ignore, get some earplugs, or you can empty yourself. And you can go and take care of that child. So mothers, you understand a little bit about this 
emptying yourself. The sacrificial giving where it's not about you at all. And verse 7 says that Jesus emptied himself and taking the form of a bondservant. Man, there's just so much here that it's mind-blowing when we take the time to, to realize that, that the God who spoke the universe into existence is here taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of sinful men. It doesn't say there, I shouldn't. Being made in the likeness of men. But he became man. Frail, incapable man. And there was no sin in him. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. But then the extent of his obedience is where we understand that we are so far from attaining the the kind of humility and, and servanthood that Jesus displays. He says, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. What does that cross represent? When we think of the cross, what, what do we think about? What was that about? Was it just a physical death? Joe, you're shaking your head. No, what was it? Salvation. Salvation. He endured hell for us. And I don't take the time to acknowledge what this means very often because I get distracted with life. But when I take the time to stop and evaluate word by word that this is the eternal one, the all-powerful one, the one who knew no sin being made sin on my behalf. So then should it even be a question that me, the chief of sinners, should be able to not look out merely for my own interests, but also for interest of others too. Verse 4 isn't that hard. That's not much to ask, is it? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. It's not saying don't look out for your personal interests. It's just saying, hey, as you're looking out for your own interests, make sure that you're thinking of others too. That's not hard. Not hard to understand. Not shouldn't be hard to follow. Yet I struggle <laughs> big time. And yet someone that is a wretched sinner that's been saved by grace with a proper understanding of who I am and who I've now been made to be only because of Christ, this should be a natural outpouring of my gratitude. Verse 4 in the previous verses of humility in mind regarding more, uh, others more uh, important than yourself, doing nothing from selfish ambition, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, which we said is Christ's purpose. This should be a natural outflowing from an acknowledgement of who I am and what I've been saved from. And yet we already diagnosed what the problem is, is that pride refuses to let it be that simple, doesn't it? And pride looks into the story of what's been done and says, I'm still more important than you, God. 
I'm still more important than all these people. That's ugly, right? No wonder we hide it. No wonder we try to choke it down and not let it come out because there is, there is some real grossness about that. And I believe that Jesus wants us to take care of it. So without any more explanation, we'll come back. But I want us to, I have five things here, and all five from from this book. But the, The book is Humility, True Greatness. An interesting title because our world does not view humility as true greatness. Uh, our, our world does not view uh, following Philippians 2 as true greatness, does it? And yet, I have five steps that I want to talk through with you to battle pride and embrace humility. Step one, if you want to write these down. Begin your day acknowledging your need for God. Reliance versus independence. Begin your day acknowledging your need for God. These are the practical steps that I believe we can take through the Spirit's power to start to crush the pride in our own lives. And the first one is every day when I wake up, I acknowledge, God, it's not about me. It's about you. You're above me. You're greater than me. You made everything. You saved me. I'm going to rely on you. Caveat to that is taking control of your thoughts. Starting very early in the morning. Boy, it starts early, doesn't it? This creeping in of it's all about us. Starts the moment I open my eyes, look at the, uh, the clock and say, why me? And yet this is very interesting, and he talks about it a little in here, and I thought it was really insightful, is that where we get in trouble is that we start listening to ourselves. So you're either passively listening to yourself, basically, you get to the mirror, you deserve to be back in bed. Why do you have to get up so early? Why do you have to go to work? You, don't, you, don't, you shouldn't have to work. Why, why, why are you getting your car? Your car is a piece. Why, why don't you have a better car? Why is it so cold? Why is your car so stinking cold? Why is it? You could start passively listening to yourself and believe me, the flesh will love to continue to feed us a string of lies. Starting every morning. And so then, begin your day before the flesh can get in. Begin your day acknowledging your need for God. So you can either passively listen to yourself or you can actively start preaching and teaching yourself with the truth of God. And you can start speaking truth back into your life and you can continue at every moment as you're brushing your teeth this day belongs to God you were bought with a price and God's truth can be preached back into your mind and I believe that's a, a huge part of the be transformed by the renewing of your mind if we let our mind go passive it'll lead to a fleshly way of thinking and therefore a fleshly way of acting, and yet if we actively renew our minds, if we actively speak God's truth back into our lives, saying, no, this is true, this is right. Every morning before the flesh has a chance to take hold, I, I, I believe that he who is able to do greater than what we can think or imagine is able to start making a difference in the area of pride in your life. 
Step number two. More to be discussed and said about step number one, but step number two. Begin your day expressing gratitude to God. Be thankful. We had a whole series that we laid out. 10,000 gifts. We, we, we patterned it after this lady that had taught us so much, uh, Ann Voskamp, about this need for us to be thankful. So begin every day expressing gratitude to God because the flesh will speak against that. The flesh will tell you how bad you have it. I want to tell you something. We deserve nothing but death and hell. And so for us to open our eyes and to breathe in a new day and to be free and to have life and the potential for life abundant through Christ, that is a gift from God. And every time I complain, I take mud and I slap it onto the gift of God. And yet when I can choose to be thankful, I worship and I say, thank you. I know my place. I remember what you did. Thank you. Number three, and this is hard, and it, it's, these aren't things you haven't heard before, things I haven't heard before, but, but number three, practice spiritual disciplines. Prayer, the study of God's word, worship. And this is why this goes against against the natural self-sufficiency, doesn't it? Because when you sit down and you open up God's Word, when you sit down and you have maybe a a notebook and a pen and you open God's Word and you say, I'm going to read from this Word and I'm going to allow it to change my life. You've made a statement. Whether that next 10 minutes is the best time of devotion with the Lord you've had or if it was sometimes where you you realize, what am I? You get distracted. Either way, you've made a statement by sitting down and being disciplined to open God's word and say, this has authority over me. That's a big deal. So number three was practice spiritual disciplines of prayer, study of God's word, and worship. Number four is very practical. Seize your commute. Anita will have a hard time. Her commute is down the stairs, so she doesn't live very long. But those of you that drive to work, and moms, maybe you're at work, and so you got the two minutes with your coffee before the kids wake up and start screaming for breakfast, seize that time. Those of you that have 15 minutes or 20 minutes as you drive to work there and back, seize that time. Let's start memorizing. Let's start meditating on God's word. Because otherwise, that can be just wasted time. And yet, there it is, time where you're not doing anything else that is carved out that you can now grab a hold of and say, God, please actively destroy the pride in my life through the exercise of meditating on your word or, or learning your word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. And number five is interesting. Number five, casting your cares upon him. This one isn't one that comes to mind naturally, and yet God's word in First Peter 5 says this, Starting in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Listen to this, verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't know if you're like me, but you can go days without expressing to the only one that can help what you're struggling with. 
And in our own self-sufficiency, we can carry this burden on our shoulders, this weight of anxiety, and we can hang on to it. And do we realize that the actual exercise of casting our cares onto the Lord Jesus is an act of humility? I can't do it! But you can. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan hates that we're even talking about this concept of breaking free from our own pride because he loves to devour. Those are five practical steps. And it's a process. It's not going to happen tomorrow. And yet I believe that if we rely on this power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that we can see real victory over pride in our lives. So today would be a good day for some self-evaluation. What areas, Lord, have I not given over? What, what areas am I trying to elevate myself above you? And also when it's time to confess, this may be a neat way to, to start confessing is, is to acknowledge, say, God, I'm, I'm sorry that I was contending for your supremacy. I confess that I was trying to make me greater than you and I'm sorry. I want to finish Philippians 2. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, we can either choose to humble ourselves Or on that day when he returns and every knee is bowed, that day it won't be a choice anymore, will it? And even now, we have the choice and the opportunity to bow our knees to him, to acknowledge his rightful place. Friends, I I need help. I need to do this, and and I, I can't have joy until I do. So I need you in my life pushing me towards this. We need each other. So let's ask for God's help. Father, we uh, acknowledge our place and your place. We admit our unwillingness to do these self-examinations because they're hard and they reveal areas that are just totally out of line with your word and your truth. Father, I am sorry for the continued pride that I let exist in my life. I don't want that. I I know that that's the problem. I know, God, that that is what keeps me from experiencing your joy. God, I see it in my own kids, and that's scary because I know that they're facing it too. And, God, I know that my brothers and sisters here are facing this unbelievable enemy. God, we could despair. We could feel really helpless, and yet you are more powerful than that. You can give victory. We found out this morning you can give healing. 
And so for those of us that need to be torn down and, and rebuilt up in the truth of who you are and the truth of your word, God, I pray for that. And I pray even today would be a, a, a monument or a, a place we could put a stake in the ground and say, God, I forget what's behind, but today I press forward. Lord, we need your help, Jesus. Please help us in your name. Amen.